Now, if we follow the church calendar, and I feel perfectly free not to, but I think there's wisdom in following a church calendar, especially this time of the year, this is considered the first Sunday in Advent. You count four Sundays out from Christmas. So what we've done for Old Circle through the years, we've seen the birth of Christ and the death of Christ, his resurrection at Easter. Now we look at the return of Christ. And then by the end of the service, we're singing Advent hymns and we're dwelling on the theme of the birth of Christ again as we go into next Sunday. And that's the way we've done this for the past several years. So we dwell upon the return of Christ this morning. By the end of the service, we're singing Advent hymns. Turn, if you will, to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And even though our focus will be upon the last verses of this chapter, we will begin reading at verse 18. Will you bow with me in prayer? O Lord, our God, as we come to this awe-inspiring text, so filled with truth about the redeeming work of Christ and His coming, we ask that you will move our minds and hearts, that our wills may be affected, transformed by the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit. And just as we saw last week as we dwelt upon the new birth and effectual calling, that only the Spirit of the Lord can initiate that call and grant us the new birth, we pray for those today who may be lost and undone and pray that you would open their hearts to the gospel in that way which only the Spirit of the Lord can. And continue to work within our hearts as you have promised that we, your people, may know you, love you, and trust you, and eagerly await the coming of our Savior who was born of a virgin and who died for our sins. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The twelfth chapter of the book of Hebrews, beginning with verse 18. This is the word of God. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Have you ever considered that the only ones who really possess anything are Christians? 
A Christian may have little in this life. He may be in prison. His ankles may be in shackles, but he has Jesus Christ, everlasting life, and the promise of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. An unbeliever, on the other hand, may have mansions and mountains of gold, but he can take none of it with him, and he will lose all when he awakens in eternal torment. That's the contrast that is set up in our text. That's a fair summary of what the text is about. A shaking is coming, and those who do not belong to God's kingdom will be shaken, and the convulsions that will overtake the world when Christ returns in glory. Remember that Hebrews was written to professing Jewish Christians who were tempted to turn back and to return to their old ways and to forsake the Christian faith. The writer here in the last warning passage of the book says in substance this, What? Go back? Why don't you, why don't you know that Christians are the only really stable people on the face of the globe because we belong to an unshakable kingdom? Everyone else awaits the destruction of their unstable lives. How can you think of going back when the kingdom of God is the only safe place in which to dwell? So let's see how this is found in our text, and it's found really in two ways. The first is this. There is a shaking coming. A shaking is coming. Verses 26 and 27. Look again. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 26 is a reference to Haggai 2, 6, and 7. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill the house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The Haggai reference is to the Lord vindicating his cause and making Jerusalem and its temple the center of allegiance and worship for the world. The writer applies the prophecy to the end of the world, such as when in Revelation 20 and 21, the writer speaks of the earth and heaven fleeing from the face of the judge on the great throne, and the old is replaced by the new heavens and the new earth. The writer also, in verses 18 and following, Reference the shaking that took place on Mount Sinai when the giving of the law took place. In Exodus 19:18, we read on that occasion, the whole mountain quaked. In Psalm 68, we read, O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God, even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. And with this backdrop in mind, remember also that the Old Testament teaches us that in the coming of the Lord in the day of judgment, there will be a shaking such as we have never seen before. Isaiah 13, 13, for example, I will make the heavens to tremble and the earth shall be shaken out of its place in the wrath of Jehovah of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. And so the author has such passages in mind when he points to the end of the present world order. The Bible teaches that the world as we know it will come to an end and there will be a final judgment called in this passage the shaking of earth and 
of the heavens. This is what our writer means. The removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And so the material universe will be shaken when Christ comes again. And all that will remain are the things that cannot be shaken. Of that day, we also read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He speaks of the day of the Lord that will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. What Peter references as a conflagration, the writer of Hebrews speaks of as a shaking of earth and also the heavens. Now, this is God's Word. One may move along merrily and ignore it, but it does not change the facts. There is a shaking coming such as has never before been known by mankind. The shaking of not only the earth, but also the heavens. And so someone may go on and trifle and skip along unconcerned, but the day will come all the same, and we will not be able to avoid it. Last week we sang that great hymn, Great God of Wonders, written by Samuel Davies. Samuel Davies is one of my favorite people in history. He preached a sermon on the Second Peter text. I'm going to bring to you now a quotation, lengthy but gripping. Samuel Davies. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. 2 Peter 3, 7 and 10. The present state is but the infancy of the world. All the events of time, even those which make such great noise to us and determine the fate of kingdoms, are but as trivial games of little children. But if we look forward and trace events to maturity, we meet with vast, significant, and majestic events. To one of those scenes I would direct your attention this day, I mean the solemn, tremendous, and glorious scene of the universal judgment. You have sometimes seen a stately building in ruins. Come now and view the ruins of a demolished world. Come now and view the whole universe severely laboring and agonizing in her first convulsions and her well-ordered system dissolved. You have heard of earthquakes here and there which have laid huge cities in ruins. Come now and feel the tremors and convulsions of the whole globe which blend cities and countries, oceans and continents, mountains, plains and valleys in one giant heap. You have a thousand times beheld the moon walking in brightness and the sun shining in its strength. Come now, look and see the sun turned into darkness and the moon into blood. It is our lot to live in an age of war, blood, and slaughter, an age in which our attention is engaged by the dubious fate of kingdoms. Draw off your thoughts from these trifling objects for an hour and fix them on more solemn and vital objects Come view this dread scene. The world alarmed, both earth and heaven, or thrown. 
and gasping nature's last tremendous groan. Death's ancient scepter broke the teeming tomb, the righteous judge, and man's eternal doom. Let us now enter upon the majestic scene, but alas, what images shall I use to represent it? Nothing that we have ever seen, nothing that we have ever heard, nothing that has ever happened on the stage of time can furnish us with proper illustrations. All here is low and groveling when compared with the grand phenomena of that day. We are so accustomed to trifling earthly objects that it is impossible that we should ever raise our thoughts to a suitable pitch of elevation. But before long, we shall be amazed spectators of these majestic wonders, and our eyes and our ears will be our instructors. But it is now necessary we should have such ideas of them as may affect our hearts and prepare us for them. Let us, therefore, present to our view those representations which divine revelation, our only guide in this case, give us, of the person of the judge and the manner of his appearance, of the resurrection of the dead and the transformation of the living, of the universal gathering of all men before the supreme tribunal, of their separation to the right and to the left of the judge according to their characters, of the judicial process itself, of the decisive sentence, of its execution, and of the conflagration of the world. Now I ask you, can anything more evince the rebellion and the inability of fallen humanity than that we can hear of the coming judgment and remain unmoved and unsaved? That apart from the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, we will continue in sin rather than bow before the judgment of God? So that even now there may be someone under the hearing of the Word of God who has not trusted in Christ and it requires the supernatural power of Christ to raise you from the dead before you will even see your need before that day comes. The first point of the text, a day of shaking is coming. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. Second thing is a more joyful theme. (laughs) You, people of God who trust in Christ, belong to an unshakable kingdom. Look again at verse 28. Verse 27 and 28. Yet once more indicates the removal of the things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The shaking is coming, and all that will remain are those things that cannot be shaken. When Christ comes again, all that will remain are those things that cannot be shaken. And that is the kingdom of God the unshakable order and his people who are a part of it. And if you belong to that order, you will remain unshaken when Jesus comes again in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. What are those things that cannot be shaken? Our present position as believers, 
that will not change when the earth and the heavens are shaken at the return of Christ. Now, the writer has already unpacked that position for us in beautiful terms. Belonging to the stability of Mount Zion in verses 18 through 22, Zion being the symbol of grace. That you, people of God, have membership in the heavenly Jerusalem, verse 22, that citizenship will not cease, it cannot be removed. Our worship with the whole church and the angels before the throne of God, in verse 22. Enrollment in the assembly of the firstborn, verse 23. The judge of all the earth who sees that his people are vindicated, verse 23. The promise of being with Christ in the perfection of his resurrection, the spirits of righteous men made perfect. And that we now, as the people of God, have Christ as mediator and cleansing by his own shed blood. So that we read in verse 24, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And of that blood, in the book of Hebrews, we read that through it we have eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.12 The putting away of all of our sins. Hebrews 9.26 The purging of an evil conscience. Hebrews 10.22 Perfection and sanctification through His blood. Hebrews 10.10 and 14 Acceptance with God. Hebrews 10.19 And so the citizen of the heavenly kingdom has come to Jesus' blood. The accusing voice of sin and of the law has been silenced. We are forgiven of our sins. And when the conflagration of the world does come, those who are under the value of the blood of Jesus Christ will not perish and will not be shaken. You see that little old woman over there? I mean in your imagination. (laughs) There she is. She's so small and weak. She's lived a long, long life and she's very decrepit. She walks with a walker. She's mistreated by her unbelieving landlord. Cheats her on her rent. She's ignored by her family that doesn't know Christ. She seems so unstable, doesn't she? She seems almost almost as if she's in the grave. She has very, very little in life that can be called stable. But she's Christ's. She knows Jesus. She's washed by the blood of the Lamb. She's a part of that unshakable kingdom. And when Christ comes again to take her to himself, and when he comes again to judge the quick and the dead, the landlord, proud, arrogant, will be eternally shaken. Those close to her who did not know Christ, who cared nothing for her, who were estranged from Christ, they will take nothing into the next world that was left in her will to them. And then I ask you, who will shake on that day? Who will tremble on that day? Will it be that little decrepit woman who knows Jesus? Or will it be those strong and boastful men who have opposed Christ and not loved their neighbor? I ask you, who will shake in that day? So what does it mean to belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken? 
It means to have Jesus as your priest king who rules and reigns and defends you just as he does that little lady. It means, in the words of Isaiah 51.6, Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. That is what it means to belong to the unshakable kingdom. It means to turn to Isaiah again, chapter 64, verse 4, that since the beginning of the world men have not heard, nor pierced by ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. It means knowing the Christ of whom the writer of Hebrews spoke in the very first chapter, turning there, in which, speaking of the Lord Jesus, the writer uses the terms applied to Jehovah because Jesus is Jehovah, the second person of the Trinity, and he applies them to Jesus. And in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1 of Hebrews, he says this of the Savior. Hebrews 1.10, You, Lord... That is Christ, you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So that's what it means to be a part of the unshakable kingdom. You are a part of that unshakable kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is immutable. He is unchangeable. All creatures change. The Lord does not change. All of the earth will change in that day, but you will not change. Yes, resurrection bodies, but your relationship with the Lord that you have now will be just as stable then as it is now, just as stable now as it will be then. The Lord will not change. God does not change in His essence, in His being. God does not change in His divine attributes, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He remains. God does not change His eternal plan God does not change His promises made to you, His people, that when that day comes, you will be steady and you will not shake when the earth quakes and is burned by fire. For God says to us in Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. If God, who does not change, has promised you, who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that when His Son comes... You will not be shaken. You will not be shaken. Because that's His word to you, and that is His promise to you, His people. Well, that's what the text teaches. When Christ comes again, there will be a shaking such as the world has never known. And when that shaking comes and takes place at the return of Christ, you, His people, are a part of an unshakable kingdom, and you will remain. How can we use this truth? Let me give you several ways. First, you use this truth by hearing him who speaks. Let us hear him who speaks. Verse 25 of Hebrews 12. Look at it. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. 
For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned him on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. God descending, descended and quaking on Mount Sinai to sinners and gave his law. He has now descended in the person of his son and he speaks good news of salvation to all who will hear. Which requires the greater obligation, let me ask you. Which requires the greater obligation to hear? The word at Sinai? Or the final revelation that has come through his son? This is my beloved son, hear him. Every time the word is preached, Christ speaks to his people, calls us to faith, to repentance, to communion with him, and he says, do not give up, my friends, do not give up, my children, do not turn back, keep moving, be faithful, hear the word of the Lord, live out of the stability that I have promised. But unbeliever, here this morning, the text also is filled with warning for those who refuse to hear. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation is also the message of Hebrews, And F.F. Bruce says so rightly, the consequences of despising the gospel are even more dreadful than were the consequences of despising the law. So, the first use you make of this coming of Christ and the shaking of the earth and the heavens is hear him. Have you heard the Son? Do you hear him in his word? Second use that we make of this is let us be grateful. And this is right out of the text, verse 28. Therefore, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What can possibly survive the shaking that is to come? But look, even though the kingdom awaits the consummation at Jesus' return, we already by faith are citizens of that new Jerusalem spoken of in this passage. That city is already our home. That's our deepest reality. Have you ever stopped to think, I ask you again, that the only people in this world that own anything are Christian people? Because everything that the unbeliever has will perish. But our relationship with Christ is firm. Old John Brown, the Scottish commentator, says everything in the new dispensation is solid. We have not the emblem of divinity, but God himself. Not a typical expiation, that is to say, not types and shadows, but a real atonement. Not bodily purifications, but a spiritual holiness. All is spiritual, all is real, all is permanent. How happy is the individual who is interested in this new and better economy. How happy is the individual who has a saving interest in Christ and already belongs to the kingdom that will not be shaken when Jesus returns. Is that you? Do you have a saving relationship with Christ? Are you a member of that unshakable kingdom? Third way you use this truth, Christ comes, shakes the earth and the heavens. Let us be worshipful. Again, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Since these are awesome realities, let us worship God in reverence and in awe. We worship acceptably only through the Son. And this should inform our attitude in public and private worship. 
We should exclude the pop culture that cannot promote this sense of reverence, and we should include those things which can. And the point of the text, in part, is that the reverence that took place at Mount Sinai when the law is given and Mount Sinai shook and quaked is not taken away by the cross, but that reverence is increased by the cross. The law's demands have been quenched at Mount Calvary, and this should intensify our reverence as we consider that Jesus Christ took my hell and bore for me the shaking of the earth and heaven so that I might be stable in that day. Mount Calvary, the cross, does not diminish reverence. It deepens reverence and awe. So let me ask you personally, do you see this to be your chief end? To glorify God, to live a life permeated with reverence and awe, that you are created to be a worshiper of God. Do you see that? Do you know that? And if you do not know Christ, the only way that you can is through Christ and putting your trust in Him. And then there's another way in which we can apply this truth. Christ comes, the shaking of the earth and the heavens. And it is by this. Let us be loose. I mean in your hearts. I mean in your affections. Let us be loose from shaking things. Do you understand what I mean? Loose from the temporary, loose from the perishable, loose from the impermanent, from those things that pass away. That is, live life in the reality of the coming of Christ, the conflagration of the universe, and in the knowledge that the shaking of earth and the heavens will come and that the earth will melt with fervent heat. So that in 2 Peter 3, he draws this conclusion, since these things are thus to be dissolved, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And that means that when the shakings of this world come now, you know what I mean, those things that are unexpected, your body falls apart, your families seem to be in ruin, nations around us in war, morality in our country going to pieces. When the shakings of this world come now, those things that shake the world before the return of Christ, let us see these as a foreshadowing of the great shaking that is to come, and let us live faithfully right now. Contrast how the unbeliever and believer might face these things. In 1929, there was the crash of the stock market. It's an awful time. People who had much had nothing. People who had nothing had no promise that they would receive anything. And so many people were depressed that they threw themselves out of, out of buildings and committed suicide. Why? Because they weren't members of the unshakable kingdom that is to come. They didn't have anything in their hearts that was unshakable. Everything they have was disposable. Now that's the unbeliever. But it's not you, believer. It's a hard thing to lose everything. But if you lose everything, you've not lost everything because you have all in Christ. Even that in His providence is for His glory and your good. And He has promised you an imperishable, unfading inheritance. So living for the return of Christ is the normal state of mind for the Christian. It's the normal state of mind and heart 
for the believer. And that's how we live stable lives in this present shaking world, groaning and creaking under the effects of the fall of man. Now, by contrast, let me give you another illustration. The crash in 1929, men and women throwing themselves out of buildings, committing suicide. 1940, May 10, in the Netherlands, the Nazis fly over Rotterdam, and if you know anything about it, they completely wiped old Rotterdam off of the face of the globe. And there was a Dutch Reformed minister, G.H. Kirsten. I've read a good many of his works. And in his biography, we are told, During the early morning hours of May 10, 1940, war erupted in the Netherlands. During the afternoon of May 14, Reverend Kirsten's hometown of Rotterdam was bombed. Later, he described those perilous hours. Now, how would you have responded? The bombs, bombs dropping everywhere fire, conflagration. Here's how this Dutch Reformed theologian pastor responded. These are his words. When the streets in the vicinity of our home were set aflame, even hospitals were destroyed, and our home shook on its foundations, and the floor heaved under our feet. I was privileged to bow under God's justice and to worship His majesty in the midst of judgment. I do not write this to exalt myself. By nature, we are all rebels against God. However, God's grace humbles, and that humility gave me peace and helped me to calm my family. This has compelled me to admonish the people in both writing and preaching to bow before God and acknowledge that He has not dealt with us according to our sins. What a difference. Men throw themselves out of buildings. They've lost everything. The bombs are dropping, and this man bows his head before the sovereignty of God and acknowledges that he's in it, calms his family, and he trusts in the Lord. What is the difference? Some belong to a kingdom that can and is and will be shaken. Kirsten belonged to a kingdom that cannot and will not be shaken. You belong to one or the other kingdom. There's no in-between. Well, Jeremiah Burroughs, the Puritan, says, True fear and trembling at the word is that which will settle the heart and strengthen the heart against all other fears. And so, Christian, if you find that you're shaking almost after the pattern of the unbeliever, when things come in life, the convulsions come, get into the Word. Reverence the Word. Let the Word permeate your heart. Because true fear and trembling at the Word is that which will settle the heart and strengthen the heart against all other fears. When the Lord Jesus returns and plays the organ of the last day and he pulls out all the stops and the earth and the heavens are shaken, the Christian will stand when the world will not. And so, my my people, God's word to Moses on Sinai was so alarming 
that when the shaking of Sinai happened, they begged Moses to be their mediator. A go-between. God's word has come to us from heaven. The second person of the Trinity. And Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant who secures true believers in his loving, yet awe-filled promise of redemption. Do you know him? Are you prepared for the shaking of the earth and heavens that is to come? Do you know him? So when all shakes, the people of God will sing. Built on the rock, the church doth stand. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.